Maybe that could be a new theme. Holding space. <laughs> Dear was holding space, douching. Okay. Douching's holding space. It's like, number one, I need this bathroom for a substantial amount of time. I need privacy and I need the atmosphere to not be judged on a on the unmistakable scent of internal excrement. Two, I have made my very distinctly internal chamber a space that is very, like, warm, fresh, clean and accommodating to anyone who may be coming by. And when you hold that space for someone who does not come and then use it, it's very upsetting. Well, you should save this rant for when we do a safer spaces. <laughs> safer spaces. Slurry safer spaces. And it's just you This talking. will not be a safe... Yeah, <laughs> this is you talking about douching for an hour. <laughs> yeah, I'm into it. Like, safer spaces, burn it down. <laughs> well, uh, I am uh, Queen of the Heavens and of the Earth, Empress of Despair and Architect of Your Eternal Suffering, Olympia Bukakis. And I'm just here, oozing gloop. And you, dear listener, are listening to our podcast, Slurry! Slurry! Yeah. Ooh, slurry. Here we go. That was the weirdest Hi. one yet. That was the weirdest one yet. Oh, I should have just said I'm the world's premier autistic green drag queen. Why do I always forget that lie? Anyway. Um It is it is good. But like I, I remember I know, I'm just I'm just so I'm just pissed off about the tech situation. Yeah, yeah. Well it's annoying. We're, we're recording this remotely, as you can probably hear uh, from the sound quality, but um, these are the times that we're... We could... Nope, sorry. I see the lag. Lag. <laughs> the lag is going to make the interrupting much worse. Yeah. <laughs> these are the times that we're in. So I feel like if everyone is going through, because uh, just, we've just gone into a harder lockdown in Berlin, we're recording this on the uh, 16th of December. Um, so we've just gone into a harder lockdown. So uh, to be more responsible, we're recording this remotely. But I feel like if the sound quality of slurry, dear listener, is the biggest problem in your life, then you must be living in New Zealand or Australia. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, wait, have they managed to wipe it out in Australia? Not totally, uh, but it's like a lot of life looks pretty normal there. Like clubs are open and stuff. I mean, in so much as it does in this colonial fantasy land that's just like an experiment in genocide. Yes, normal. Well, yeah, I guess. <laughs> you like to be high-minded about this for someone who comes from the country that perpetrated that. But anyway. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because basically, I mean, like, if anyone's going to know about this situation, it's us or me, rather. Oh, did I just actually... Yeah, you. British? Oh. <laughs> you you're, you're like, you're the repository of, like, colonial knowledge of the, like, United Kingdom. They just put it all in you. That would make sense. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> totally right and look if you carry on like that I'm also going to gentrify you I will gentrify you out <laughs> so today's topic is laughter yes it is uh... <laughs> but, you know, I suggested this thing and the reason that I suggested it Gloop is that when I was listening back to uh, like our podcast I realised that you and I laugh at like sometimes what would be considered the wrong time. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but it's also so funny because like you've there's 
three separate times you said, oh, we're doing laughter. And then as someone who laughs at pretty much everything, the second you say this, I lose my, I lose my sense of humour entirely. It does feel uh, less funny, doesn't it? It does, but that's what makes it interesting. That's why, so let's delve in. Mm. Well, because like, one of the things that, like, uh, I think, just based on memory, the time that you have made me <laughs> laugh the most is when you made a joke about your dad dying and the time <laughs> when, uh, oh, what did I just say? When I made you laugh the most was when I made a joke about my dad dying. So we both have a pretty dark sense of humour. Yeah, we just hate dads. <laughs> <laughs> I do, like, like maybe it's not relatable content, but I do, I do have an alive dad that I quite like. <laughs> Um, I what? Just had the, what? Yeah, I, this yeah, is. I I've just, seen a lot of. Wait, no. Hang on. Wait. Dial back. I'm just like flashbacks. Like, if, wait. Hang on. Okay. I'm gonna. That's gonna be a while to process. <laughs> yeah, I actually just had a really heartwarming and beautiful conversation with my mum and dad uh, earlier today, talking about like pronouns and how it's changed in the last few years, and like, um, and it was it was really sweet. Um, it just kind of came out of the blue. <laughs> okay, that's really cool. Yeah, that's nice. Like, one time I was having a talk with my mum about pronouns, like, before related to them, and she was just kind of a bit like, uh, and it was like, she was like, oh, do you like he or she, whatever? And I was like, oh, it's kind of, I was like, I feel kind of weird about the way that she is just like, he was just like an S in front of me. Like, what is this kind of like process? And mum was just like, well, it's all about power, isn't it? Oh, wow. Your mum sounds yeah. so cool. Yeah, she does sound cool, but then she... Yeah, she does sound, bit, sound, I was, she, she sounds cool in theory. <laughs> <laughs> she does sound cool. What are you going to say next? No, I mean, she, they came out completely wrong. I'm not sorry. Um, She's like communism, you know, like good in theory, but in practice, just a tragedy, you know? <laughs> but we're still, that's where we're going. Yeah. Like, um, no, sorry. Um, just that she, uh, I've tried to explain gender neutral pronouns, but I think to my mum, but I think I will, in my mother's eyes, always very much be her son. But I'm kind of okay with that. Yeah. Yeah. I can deal with it. <clears throat> yeah. You know, um, I, w I was going to suggest actually, because we're recording again tomorrow, I was going to suggest doing the theme identity. I think there's so much in there. And I would, I, I, I love you're just bamming our secret schedule out. I like, know well, we do this every week for you <laughs> listeners. It's like all my artisanal. No, because I'm gonna tell, I want to tell you all about yesterday as well. It was ridiculous because of the hard lockdown. But first, I, so tomorrow, identity. Uh, yeah, anyway, we could, yeah, you're right. I, we could do scheduling off, off, um, uh, off uh, camera, mic, off mic. Um, off mic. <laughs> This is just like in the early episodes when I would start discussing yes. how we're organising. <laughs> now the shoe's on the other foot, isn't it? Yeah, I'm being undisciplined. I think it's because I'm still wearing a bathrobe and it's 1pm. It's very gay. Oh my God. So I saw this great, uh, uh, it, was a, it was a meme, but it was actually a picture of a Facebook status, if you can imagine such a thing. And it said... Um, Cyberpunk 2077? Question mark. If I wanted to be a trans woman with a penis negotiating... Oh no, if I wanted to be a girl with a penis negotiating a dystopian world, I'd have got out of bed today. Yes, I saw that. It's so good. So what is that? Okay. Is there... There's a trans person in this video game or...? 
No, okay, so wait, so first thing, what I love about that as well is I read that at like 9pm in the evening, so in my head this person like just had been in bed this entire time. And then, um, yeah, it's basically, so it's a computer game where I don't really understand what platform it's for. It's released, it's on many platforms in many different ways because it is, uh, it, it is, an ex it, it portrays a dystopia, but it's also an example of dystopia at the same time. And one of the aspects about this is that, or, you know, one of the ways that it's supposed to be like really progressive and really exciting is that you're supposed to like uh, be able to have fully customizable genitals. Like you could, so you can have like a, a great big horse dog or like a vulva or like a micro dick or like whatever you want. And then that doesn't relate to your, you don't have to like, not only male avatars can be the ones with penises. Uh, it's this idea, but then the thing is, though, right, is that what's kind of interesting about the game I've seen from uh, from other other memes that were print screens of social media websites, if you can imagine such a thing, um, that the only way you can definitively there's still a dis the only way you can identify as male or female is that you have to have a higher or lower voice. <laughs> uh huh. So. You, even if you like basically you're like like everything's like super mask and all these things and you've got like the big old horse dog but you have a high-pitched voice you will be coded as female but then if you are uh and vice versa Listen, so there's still when a you as yeah. a person speak in the game it genders you automatically I, or when you choose the voice of the avatar I think it's it's one or the other. I haven't actually played it, so I just saw people talking about it. So the thing is, though, is that it still is. So there's still this fundamental idea of a gender binary within it, and that it's still uh, there's these various things of like, um, uh, you know, this idea that because also so it's just one of these transphobic things where it's like basically if you're seen to if you walk in and ask for hormones, uh as presenting as the gender of the hormones that you want you're more likely to get them versus but the hormones themselves produce the effect so if you have the effect mm. da, da, da. so it's like saying and then the thing is right is that they Except say with in material this... wealth mm. like if you walk into yes. a job interview <laughs> looking like you already yeah. have a really good job then you get that job but if you walk into a job interview looking like you need a job that pays well then you're less likely to get that job it's the same with hormones Yes, it's completely the same with hormones. Sorry, yeah. I just thought that was interesting. Going on, going on. Yeah, 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 no, completely. I think that, that I, uh, uh, no, I, I, defi I definitely want to go down this rabbit hole. I mean, like, this is also, this is just what his gender is. It's also like a, um, it's like, it's sort of like money and capitalism. Like, we sort of see money as being, wait, no, that doesn't make sense. But it's like, there's, or certain, there's just certain patterns that we, wait, no, no, no. No, I'm coming out of the rabbit hole and uh, I can't make a, a coherent point. Uh, my brain is soup at the moment. Because, right? Yeah. Well, get this as well. It's speaking of... Oh, so this uh, Cyberpunk 2077... Basically, Cyberpunk 2077 is transphobic as fuck. Or it's still transphobic. It's not transphobic as fuck. It's still transphobic. It says that gender neutrality is co-opted by uh, gigantic corporations in this game. 
but the company that made this basically used the idea of gender neutrality to cause a big sensation, to get lots of free publicity, to then still say, ah, but there secretly is still a gender binary. And then it's basically used the idea of trans people as a myth of dystopia to just reinforce the idea, oh, look, it's so horrible. The men and the women, they, you don't know if they have a dick or a this or a that or the other. Ooh, cyberpunk 2077. Yay. But like, they could just go outside and experience that. That's just what... <laughs> That's just what people are like. People do have different <laughs> kinds of genitals. That's not interesting. Why would people find something that's just as mundane as the thing outside? Like, I guess people played The Sims. Yeah, oh my God, yeah. Because <laughs> it was like, the, the, the one before this was called Cyberpunk 2020. So it's like, basically, that's it. It's like, Cyberpunk 2077, The Sims for the 21st century. Yeah, oh God, that's so boring. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, that's so boring. You know, but... Yeah, but... Mm. Wait, I have got addicted to a video game on my phone. So much so that my eyes are bloodshot from staring at my screen so much. Jesus Christ. That's that's yeah. a lot. What's the game? Oh my God. It's like advertising on Instagram. It's called Merge Dragons. And it's like you, you match up like little things together and like unleash like little dragons to help you do shit. Like, um... And it's like some kind of fantasy thing. And like... Oh, oh my God. So recently I was like, I just, you know, with all this heavy stuff, I was like, oh, I just want to go to a drag show or something fun. I was like, I need a dopamine hit. You told me that actually. Yeah. So, yeah. And so um, this game was that dopamine hit. Oh my God. Afterwards, I just felt like, I like came away from this game and I just felt like this, this rushing sensation through my entire body of just like, whoo, of like exhilarating. It was like, like, it was like an after sex feeling. Great. That's great. I think that's it. That's when you've gotten a dopamine hit that works because it's like you can do this with um, <clears throat> drugs and alcohol or like whatever substance or, or gambling. Um, and but I think it really it matters what the come down is, because it's like if you play a game and just like lose yourself in it for a bit and then feel good afterwards. Or if I go and buy yet another item of exquisite clothing and then afterwards <laughs> I get that dopamine hit and then and then afterwards I just look great or you just feel exhilarated because you had fun with the game. That's like effective, like uh, that's like an effective way of dealing with this need for a dopamine hit, I think. Yeah, the problem was, right, is that I just lose all sense of time in it. So I think, that, so I ended up staying till five, up till 5am in the morning playing it when I thought it was two. <laughs> well, see, this is the problem. <laughs> but I who was, cares like, at the moment? Like, like as, as this person uh, so aptly said, it's like, 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 oh, wait, that's not what they said. Like being a girl, girl with a dick getting out of bed. I don't know. It's like, you, you don't, if she doesn't need to, you don't need to. Stay in bed. Yeah, just fuck getting out. Yeah, stay, yeah, stay in bed. Stay in bed. Yeah. I, um, <laughs> yeah, I, cause, yeah, I, to, I was thinking uh, because these are such sort of like uh, depressing or like, um, I just feel restless and crap um, times. Uh, it made me think about how like very often I laugh a lot harder to go, to go, look at that segue. I laugh a lot. Yeah, I said, laughter is the best medicine is what I was preparing to leave him. Oh, we're so connected, Olympia. <laughs> well, I mean, like, I think that like laughter very often is a coping mechanism for me more than it is like, a, like, well, I, I lean into laughter a lot more when it's about something really dark because it helps me cope in a certain way. Maybe, 
Do you reckon it gives you a dopamine hit? Oh my God. I should have researched Yes, that. No, don't you know this? Of course laughter gives you a dopamine hit. Okay. Yeah. Like, it's it, like, it, it, of course it's like a chemical thing. It's like when, it's like when you, um, people hug you and you get physical contact, you release more endorphins. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of what's missing, right? <laughs> endorphins are related chemically to morphine. Oh, wow. This, okay. this is why when people talk about like opiates uh, feeling like a hug, yeah. it's because they do feel like a hug. I like to think of them as endorphins. I like to think of them as cute little like friendly porpoises swimming around my body, making me feel good. When I was a teenager, I wanted to get a, a tattoo of a dolphin over my belly button. Oh my god, you didn't? No. You didn't? I just saw a tribal dolphin being shared on Instagram the other day and I was like, ooh, dare I? <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. I can't believe. Yeah. What? Why, do you, I want you, and why I, don't you have that dolphin? Well, I don't know. I was thinking I wanted a new, um, uh, a new, uh, a new tattoo and then I thought a dung beetle could be cool because they're cool they look cool but then I just I don't know I don't know a dung beetle yeah the ones that like that like carry around the ball of shit yeah, yeah, yeah. can't you could say a uh, scarab 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 yeah 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 <laughs> it's a slightly nicer they also as well carry the ball of the sun through the sky yeah this is what I like about it that it's just like this it's like simultaneously a ball of literal shit but also the thing that makes the world go around it's like when Mr. Hanky the Christmas poo sings that song about how like it's the poo of the antelope that becomes tomorrow's grass it's like a circle of life <laughs> oh my god <laughs> Maybe I should just get a yeah. big, big tattoo of Mr. Hanky the Christmas Pooh, but on, on my back. Yeah, 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 like coming like out of your butt crack. Oh my god, that's disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, you're so gross. I guess I brought that up. Um, yeah. But I wanted to ask you, because I think about, uh, in terms of the way that I use laughter in my work, in my drag, like in mm. club, club work, is because very often, because I started studying social theory at the same time that I started doing drag. And mm. um, so very often I was like, kind of just interested in using theory and wanted to talk about theory. Um, but I wanted people to be interested in it. So I tried, I what well, tried. I think at this point I can say that I succeeded in making it funny. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to be less modest. <laughs> um, um, and so, like, I always use that because I figured if you can make someone laugh, then you can make them sort of care about something that they wouldn't necessarily care about otherwise. Do you ever do this? Or are you just actually funny? Uh, are you just actually funny? <laughs> are you just automatically funny? Um, I think that um, lots of people... Well, lots of people find me peculiar. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so, I mean, I guess in that reaction, yes. Um, no, I well, think... I just, think that... I, just, I just love oozing glute. Saying <laughs> oozing glute registered as a local cryptid going like... Lots of people do yeah. find me peculiar. <laughs> I think that like yeah it's like the, it's also and then and uh, sometimes and also 
there's always a level uh, of intensity to anything that I end up doing um, on stage. But I do think that uh, there is like, you know, hey, theory, but you know, uh, wait, <laughs> sorry, but with theory, I don't like to make it funny. I like to make it fashion and then I kill him with a, like a zinger right at the end. No. Um, yeah, no, yeah. yeah well, if, if you'd yeah. delivered that more confidently, it would have worked because it's true. Yeah, I know. I just, I'm sorry. I can't, I'm, the, I'm not quite mustering the, the, my typical gravitas here from like a cross-legged uh, COVID isolation. <laughs> but no, um, uh, I think that often you can be the humour implies or relies often on a certain curvature of thought, basically. And a certain form of refraction or rebounding. And what you can do that with a clever joke, craft, a clever joke or a, craft, a well-crafted uh, piece of humour at the right moment, that you can uh, really bend people's minds around so that they, uh, that they uh, illuminate themselves and suddenly see things in a whole new way and a whole new perspective. And that you also as well, that humour typically involves some kind of gap between the, the self and the other and expectation and uh, consistency. And in that gap that people, uh, they link up, that basically people are forced to create some kind of link because we're meaning, we, we just will make meaning out of everything. And then when they produce that, that is also something that is then humorous. And so it, so it advances people uh, a lot, basically, I think. I think it's possible to become to become quite advanced with humour and make some very advanced uh, forms of critique that otherwise you would just have to labour. You'd have to write paper after paper after paper after paper for people to never listen to, never read it. Mm -hmm. This is, I really like this. The, the bending, mm. can you say more about this, the bending... Uh, so it bends a certain curvature of thought. Yeah. So it bends the person. <clears throat> can you say? Can you say that again? So, <laughs> okay. So basically, think if you could think one way you can think of it, right, is if you imagine like a light, and then basically, a, if you a, a if there's just a, like a light, a carefully crafted joke can be like a mirror that then redirects that light, and then also as well, imagine then if you've. If previously in say the stand-up set or whatever you've been doing or with a series of other things there's a series of other mirrors that suddenly what can happen is there can be a spark and then you can reflect that onto us use a certain moment to reflect that and it suddenly goes around and it makes all these different things connect together that you didn't think uh existed before and then it all comes together and you're like oh my god like i everything's connected that's so funny because it's this kind of like very joyous experience of life and that um also that you can um that that i think that you can be very intelligent and very educational with humor because it's also as well that when you are a humor is often a humor is often an, a, a, it's an act or a deed or something like that it's not like a demand you're not saying to someone you should take my point seriously and you should do all these things and the fact that i'm even saying this is evidence of the fact that you don't really think that i'm worth listening to in the first place whereas like when you can do something that's funny is you're saying like you're actually exposing another stupidity often yeah yeah 
and you yeah and you have a certain dignity to it as well and i think that campness relates to this a lot as well actually mm-hmm. like like campness and queerness and camp has been and camp in, in drag and camp's really important people like oscar wilde or like um the, oh god the naked civil servant i've forgotten his name that's terrible my brain really is soup uh S- stephen fry no this is really bad i'm gonna take away my gay card uh, naked. Ignore the typing of the <laughs> audience. <laughs> it's a bit of an ASMR for them. I, if you've already guessed it, please uh, post the answer in your Instagram story with a link to our podcast for a chance to win our appreciation. Yeah, I was thinking we should we should make a um. Oh, it's this is me. Uh, oh, um, we should make a an email address so people can reply to us and then we can reply to them. This would be so good. We'll do that. Yeah, but I, I'd actually prefer, like, uh, maybe... Oh, well, if we could still go out in public, I would prefer it's just a toilet cubicle that we could all just go and graffiti, like, different, like, replies to each other on. You know, but we have some we have some listeners in Columbus. Like... Where's Columbus? Uh, I don't know. The dude with the ship? <laughs> no, no, yeah, like, Columbus, Ohio, maybe? We have listeners in a lot of different places. Like, oh, are these from the schematics? Yeah, from the, it, from the, it, it, what's it called? Insights or something. Anyway, hi. Yeah. <laughs> hi, listeners. We have your insights. We have your bank details. Yeah. <laughs> we have your favorite color. We have your shoe size. And you have our hearts. Oh. Um, <laughs> anyway, so the person, I was thinking, so the person I was thinking of is fucking Quentin Crisp. Oh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Quentin Crisp, Naked Civil Seven, uh, who I will now have to go and rewatch because apparently I'm very ignorant of my queer history. But um, I think that like campness is something very funny, but it was also as well it was to do it's it's something as well that was very even though it's very absurd, it's also actually very dignified and it's a form of expressive dignity and intelligence done through humour because I think that the the level of discrimination that people were experiencing in this time over just being who they were and the level to which they weren't allowed to do that was so intrinsically absurd that the only way to deal with it is in this, in actually something very proactive. Mm -hmm. I think this is really, yeah, I I really like this idea that like camp is a way of trying to have dignity in an undignified situation as well. And this is something that, um, that which itself is absurd yeah it's an undignified situation but you still have dignity and so it's like campus being serious about the frivolous and frivolous about the serious well exactly and and it's it's like um when you can't it's not like when like a situation of oppression thrusts failure upon you and then you sort of like take that uh take that and then incorporate that into like your intentional way of living which i think a lot of camp humor does like um, you know, like taking so, like really tacky like aesthetics and then using them to present opulence, which is like something that drag does, um, is um, <laughs> like, I think it's a way, yeah, it definitely is a way of creating dignity. Um, and I think, yeah, I really like this idea. I also really like the idea of the mirrors um, making connections because there was, um, and I'm actually going to say this, I was listening to a Buddhist, <laughs> Buddhist <laughs> Hang on a minute, hang on a minute, hang on a minute. She's gonna say it. Yeah, I was, I was listening to a Buddhist monk at a hippie festival in 2006. <laughs> um, Before or after you were thinking about getting the dolphin tattoo above your belly button? This was after. 
Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, I grew up to be so much more tasteful than I thought I would. Um, but, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, he said this thing. It was like a meditation workshop, which was like actually great. Um, and uh, he said this thing about how, um, like, with teaching people, um, it's much more effective if you show someone where the light switch is rather than if you turn the light switch on yourself. Um, and it's a very mm. sort of simple thing that he said, but I've always found that it's really like that. It, that it's, I've always found that this is true. If you give people some sort of agency to feel like um, to, to, to make their own way to a conclusion, but you set up all the, the mirrors in the right way so that when the sun hits mm. one of them, the whole room is illuminated. Um, then I think that this is something that humor can do because very often when someone finds someone something funny, they have had agency in like in finding that funny. Like they've made the decision uh, to find that funny because we all have to make that decision about whether we find, for example, the very frequent dead dad jokes on this podcast <laughs> yeah. funny I mean, or the- not funny. And so, and so it's a way actually of engaging in discourse that's not didactic. I, I, yes, yes, yes. But also as well, that just with that didactic thing is I think that, I think that uh, people don't make the decision to find things funny. I think that finding things, I mean, there's certain times, but I think generally, uh, Olympia, you very much have an expression being like, I decide whether or not I find things funny. Um, I think. <laughs> but I feel like I do. I, yeah, no, I think that when you find something funny is that it's, I think there is a situation where you can, where, especially with a more problematic humour, you like that we love to wallow in. Uh, there is a moment where there's a, right, there's there's several stages, which is, I, I think you find something funny, you find something funny or you just don't. Like it's, you feel it, it's like an instinctual thing. And then sometimes it's more confusing. And then sometimes I think you can be like, uh, then there's, uh, do I find this? And then, but then there's other uh, rational questions. Like, do I, uh, is this, wait, or is this really funny? Like, or am I just, am I just shocked to the fact that the person said it, for example? Like, is this, is this like something that's just so, it, it's absurd, something so intrinsically shocking or something like that, that it's absurd and the, it's the enunciation rather than the, the content itself that is funny. Um like there might be someone who tells like a really bad joke in such a peculiar and odd way that you'd be like, this joke was not funny. You are just a really funny uh, person, for example. So there's there's this. And then also there's the other thing, which is it's, it, there's also sort of like, maybe this is uh, funny, but uh, I'm not going to express humour for it because I don't think within this context it should be seen as funny or I don't see that I can be seen uh, to uh, be approving of this. I think, th- I, I agree. I think that that's one element. But then there's also other situations like where someone that you <clears throat> really love or really want to impress says something that like you don't immediately find that funny, but you choose to find it funny. And that's real. Like that you are more willing <laughs> to find something funny. Or... There's like this situation where someone says something funny, even if it's really funny and you don't like that person, you don't want to give them sort of the ego boost, then you just uh, and then you, you refuse to laugh. Or when someone says something that's both simultaneous, that's simultaneously very funny and also very sad. I think sometimes you make a split decision, split second decision there. Or sometimes it's this one's terrible. But when you see children, <laughs> when you see children fall over really badly. <laughs> Oh, 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 it's really my favorite thing. 
I just thought, I, I have no idea. I saw this kid face turn off the bench in the Uber, <laughs> straight face down with the Charles Alexander Blacks. <laughs> and just scream, it was golden. I, I Yeah, like, I love that. Yeah. So what is it, sorry. <laughs> but like, sometimes it's like, like you can, I can feel my subconscious or whatever trying to work out whether I find this funny or not. I something I find really really funny is when children are on public transport and they just start full blown screaming and crying. Yeah, <laughs> I just I know, I know that, and it's also because it's like it's really well, it's really funny, uh, funny, um, funny. Uh, uh, sorry, just oh, God, I've got such a brain <laughs> you, soup on today. You look, you look like a ro- malfunctioning robot. Like funny, funny. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here for Cyberpunk it. I'm... 2077. <laughs> I actually, I actually have written two zines called Serious Fun. There's one that was Serious Fun, and then the second one, the sequel, was Serious Fun Two. Serious Fun, seriously, and you can buy Serious Fun Two, Serious Fun, seriously on my friend Angel Rose's blog, uh, which you have to Google. Uh, I can put it, I can put it in that. the description to this episode. Bada bing, bada boom, baby. Check that out. Mm. There we go. Um, Cyberpunk 2077. Um, uh, that's... Um, uh, so, children screaming and crying. In the Kabbalah, they teach that when something negative happens, you should say, what a pleasure. They don't say that in the Kabbalah per se, oh but God. they say it in like the New Age version. But gays do do that. So like, yes, they like, do, like, yeah. like, or just like the camp, the camp sensibility, like when someone does a terrible performance, you're like, amazing. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I know, you're like, amazing. And then also, yeah, it's also like, um, it's also as well, like anything negative that happens where it's just like, uh, yeah, like gays do this all the time. Like there is, there is so much synchronicity between what they teach that you should behave in Kabbalah and Susan Sontag's notes on camp. You know, this also makes me think, so I don't, I, um, so... Nietzsche, when he talks about uh, the slave re- revolt in morality, uh, so mm. that he, um, and this like goes into like, I haven't read this in a while, but <clears throat> ContraPoints calls Nietzsche fuckboy philosophy. And I think that's the best, yeah. that's like the best, <laughs> the best sub- summarization of like Nietzsche. Like it can be very hot, very good sex. Uh, you're not yeah. going to get any long lasting satisfaction or, or fulfillment out of it. But Nietzsche talks about how, um, like, in the slave revolt in morality, it's like he talks about how, like, the ancient Greeks and Romans, um, in their uh, religious and ethical framework, uh, to be great is to be good, and to be strong is to be good. Um, mm. and, uh, and then in the Judeo Christian framework, you have blessed other meek. Mm. And he talks about, he traces this, uh, so, like, this, um, this, uh, like uh, assignment of a high ethical status to a low or high moral status to a low um, uh, like uh, f- uh, social status. So, and he ties this back to these like repeated revolts um, in uh, uh, Judea and Israel, as far as I know. I read this ages ago. Um, and how yeah, they, yeah, they, yeah. they repeatedly kept trying to throw off uh, the Roman imperial yoke and had no success. And so um, had this uh, moral revolt um, where uh, it became blessed other meek. So like, because we can't change the, the physical circumstances, we change the moral circumstances. Um, and then he's like, he says, mm. this is bad or something. And I think it strays into some pretty sort of like dodgy territory. But 
I think you could see camp or camp humor and dark camp humor, which I think both of us have a lot, as uh, rather than the slave revolt, uh, slave revolt of morality, it's the slave revolt mm-hmm. in humor. Because yeah, or it's just yeah. Because it's like because uh, how like <laughs> like and like how our experience of life and our experience of gender and sexual based discrimination, like if, even though there have, have been some changes for like both of us have experienced like a lot of um, uh, harassment uh, and abuse on the streets um, mm. and and elsewhere. Um, because that is not possible to change like from one day to the next, then we have a revolt in what is funny. So rather than something like, rather than finding everything <clears throat> tragic, it's like, well, no, I find this funny now. Yeah, 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 totally. And it's also so that this is, this is basically as well as that the, the, uh, that this mora- this morality that before was this thing of like, oh, we can be emancipated through this thing is now something very oppressive as well. So it's also as well as that then it's, um, <clears throat> It's also the Nietzsche describes these people, uh, describes the process of resentment, uh, like resentment, resentment, like uh, this idea of resentment where it's like this, uh, that we have, uh, and I'm doing my resentments list right now for Alcoholics Anonymous, so it's very on my mind. Um, and then that we have all these things of these like people that we have right resentments for and you have like, I resent you and I'm, I'm uh, grumpy about this and all of these things. And if you can just get rid of all this, then you can be free of all this baggage to be like this sublime ecstatic uh, new wonder being basically like when you also just get over the fact that you're you're uh, violated on a sexual basis or for your sexuality so consistently in public and then you're just like you know what though i'm just gonna nip into these bushes here and get laid in the park right now fab yeah <laughs> yeah but ha- that how does that work when you can't do that during corona oh <laughs> um i mean i'm at least enjoying the fact that uh that the i think the people who've mostly had their lives ruined are broadly heterosexual <laughs> oh my god this is actually a thing in germany the rules as uh, as of the 16th of december are that at christmas people from it can be up to five people. Don't use us as an internet, uh, as an information source, by the way, dear listeners, because... Uh, oh, apart from the fact that bookshops are still open. Yes. Okay. Yeah. That, that's, that's cool. Um, yeah. So... Read more books. The, uh, you, you're allowed five people. Am I distracting you? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> five people, but you, have to, you don't have to all be from like two households, which is the usual rule. You, but you do have to be related in a in in one direction, like in a linear direction. So, like, and it can be. It doesn't. They don't have to be married because it's twenty twenty, man. So it can just be like a marriage like relationship. And it's just like you fucking. This is like you leave the heterosexuals alone for like one fucking second, and they start making rules like this in twenty twenty. Like, and, and Germany includes Berlin, where up to, I think it's up to one third of the inhabitants of this city are single. And it's like, if you are going to go around legislating like everyone is heterosexual, we're going to start setting fire to your buildings, you fucking idiot breeders. Like, it's yeah, so also, annoying. Yeah, I'm also just like, right, it's so related in like a linear fashion. So that means we have to share DNA. So I just think basically you'll get together, just do a quick human centipede. And I think that counts. <laughs> I think that yeah. counts because it's just the th- the reason that this is so stupid is because of course these rules come from like a bunch of li- uh, like um, like 
really fraught and intense negotiations among the, the different um, Bundesländer of Germany. But uh, yeah, with the fucking Christian Democrats, like, I'm, well, I, I'm just sorry, I'm sick of like pretending like Frau Merkel's on our side. She just does come across as quite a likable person. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, like in the face of like, yeah, but like, of like when you look at the. But this is the nah, problem. This is bunch. the problem. Yeah. See. Yeah. No. Christian Democrats. Christian Democrats. Like, why are like, oh, but it's also, it is kind of camp to idolise Frau Merkel because she's so out of it. She's an example of naive camp, I would say. Yeah. For this. This yeah. sort of like, or not particularly huge camp, just this heartwarming affection all these faggots have for Frau Merkel. Yeah, but then there's a lot of heartwarming affection, affection that a lot of faggots have for far-right leaders all across Europe, so... <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah the, days, the days are well and truly gone when we can... can when we can... Uh, say that gays are necessarily progressive, unfortunately, yeah. Gays are not necessarily progressive. They have never been necessarily progressive. It is the idea that, and I think this is all the thing, it's the fact that the idea that gender non-conforming people started the, all of the rights that now are overwhelmingly enjoyed by gay men. I think this is true, but I also like, I think that gender non-conforming people have been instrumental in that, but I wouldn't go so far as to say that I wouldn't go so far as to make that the narrative of the, 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 the increasing conservatism of the gay liberation movement. Because I think there are, there are leftist gay men no, who, but, who no, are not... No, yeah, yeah. And they, but it's, wait, increasing conservatism of the gay liberation movement. Sorry, yeah. I have like... Uh, there, are leftist gay, there are leftist gay men, but there are leftist men. Yeah. So it's not especially, there's basically as well, it's just like, hashtag not all men. No, um, yeah, there's just, uh, so why am I really angry about this? Uh, you do, let me, you do seem yeah. angry. But I think, um, I think I'm just wary, even though I agree, um, like that, like gender non-conforming people of all stripes have driven like, uh, like the, the charge for um, like, mm -hmm. um, uh, like for, like any sort of progress for uh, queer and trans people, I would. I'm hesitant to reduce that to, like, uh, like, to just the contributions of gender non-conforming people, because I think lesbians and gay men who weren't necessarily gender non-conforming have been like there is a, a big and strong tradition of yeah, no, leftists in that in both of those identity categories. No, but that's not what I said. I said that the movement was started by gender non-conforming people to produce the rights that are now largely enjoyed by gay men. I believe, or that's what I meant. So the point is, is that the, if we look at the origins of this, is that there was actually many coalitions, and now that overwhelmingly is that it is focused on gay, like, for example, the idea of marriage as being, like, all right. And it's basically that um, the, the, uh, it was the game, the idea that it was uh, just gays and just gay men and it was just the idea it was more palatable and so that's the discourse that it's become and so now the thing is that before gay men used to share their privilege with these other groups who were driving uh as it were he said they would do these things and the gay men would be like i also want to be aligned with this and now that there's lots of um whereas like now by awarding uh the least privileges to the most privileged section of these people it has then uh managed to effectively 
uh, sever solidarity with the rest of this process. Yes, I went. So this is good. This is clearer. Uh, like, um, yeah, sorry. No, no, no. It's not clearer. Like, As in, sorry for not being clear beforehand. Yeah, that's no, what I meant. no. I feel yeah. like you were clear before, but it's it's. I can respond more clear. Is what I mean. Uh, is that yes? I agree with this. But I also am sceptical of the fetishization of marginalised identities in terms of how this movement came about. And so we've gone from like the standard position being like everyone assuming that it's just white gay men that like st had, the, had the ride at Stonewall to everyone thinking that Marsha P. Johnson started the gay liberation movement with one brick. And so, yeah. uh, and, then, and then universally referring to her as a trans woman, although this is not a word that she ever um, uh, used to describe herself. So I'm, I'm, I'm just, um, I'm cautious, which is not to disagree with what you said. I'm cautious of uh, creating a new sort of like, uh, like hegemonic narrative, which basically just like taps uh, trans people of color uh, on, on the shoulder for being like, thanks, without necessarily understanding yeah. that this, that this was a, a complex process of movement building where the radical wing was was led by gender non-conforming people of colour. Like, this is very much true. But it's mm. not like, it's like, I just, uh, I want to add to that, 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 that this involves a whole bunch of, uh, a, a, like a broad coalition. Um, yeah. And but it's also, for example, that the aside, oh, sorry, no, I've No, go on, go on. Okay, but it's also as well the idea of who through the first brings it also as well as that it is actually is there's a lot of other histories that would cite Sylvia Riveras as the first person to throw it and that's actually as well uh, and that this was a butch lesbian so basically Sylvia like Riveras no not Sylvia Riveras wait no oh shit hang on a second why have we got first <laughs> brick uh, some more so... ASMR for our dear listeners <laughs> <laughs> Dyke. Um, okay, just came up with dry stone. Um, <laughs> but yeah, of course, this is this is true. It's like there's another yeah, there's another gender non-conforming person who was a butch, basically. Oh, Stormy Delaberry. Uh, Stormy Delaberry. So this is also it's well. So it's also as well that then basically, and this is it's actually it's very interesting. It's a split that there's a very that lots of, I think TERFs basically cite this person, uh, or but also radical feminists cite this person as well. So it's not really about who threw the first brick, but what it is about is that, um, that in uh, 1968, like, uh, Esther Newton studied Mother Camp, which is the first study ever done on cross-dressers in America. She makes a very clear distinction between stage performers and street performers in her study of drag, which is before the time that uh, trans was being used. Uh -huh. And she identified... And she identifies a stage performer as someone who she is. So uh, she said that these were generally uh, white gay men in, or the uh, gay men in. I don't think she mentioned race uh, because I think that she wasn't being. So she was just studying gender and she didn't make it uh, like uh, write it down. Anyway, um, white gay men in their 30s or 40s who would have their own apartment and be alcoholics. And they would basically do drag on the stage. uh for audiences and then she identified street performers who basically were people who had questionable housing they were typically younger and they lived their lives oh they lived their lives uh in drag so basically were trans trans or gender non-conforming and so there's also uh and there's this so that there's also as well as that there was and there was also a series there was a series there was a very large series of movements throughout the 60s attempting to uh, very peacefully uh, and decently 
sort of produce a kind of like a, res- a, a, a gay respectability politics mm. and it just didn't work and it didn't go anywhere basically and it wasn't doing anything and it was people who um could not conform to respectability who actually basically uh in lots of ways like uh really just drove this out uh, for exposure beyond beyond just one single riot or one single moment or something like that. And that someone I spoke to in Norwich, who was a member of the Gay Liberation Front, said that the main problem you had back in the 60s in Norwich, which is the, the shitty town I grew up in, um, he said, you didn't have the problem from straight people so much as you had the problem from other gay men. And that if you were trying to organise as an activist, people would phone you or try to organise certain things or to change things. People would phone you up and they would blackmail you. And they said, we're going to out you to your family, to your parents, to your job, if you rock the boat. Because they all had, they had secret gay clubs where they would go and they would hook up. And then they would go back to their families after that and their marriages and all these things and then live a performatively heterosexual life. And the, um, also the first study done into cruising found the same thing as well, basically, that the people who were going to the cruising toilets and stuff like that weren't these weird, perverse predators on the outside of society, but were completely integrated into society and had jobs and all these things. So that it's like... Uh... Yeah, I, I had a, uh, a tweet. Um, a tweet? I don't have Twitter. Actually, I deleted it because in 2014 I made a, really, a lot of really... <laughs> Of colour jokes about crystal meth. <laughs> I, I, I changed all of the Real Housewives of Melbourne slogans so that they would be about crystal meth because I thought it was really funny. Um, and then um, when you went to Melbourne and you did that show on ice, I thought you were doing it on an ice ring. Yeah, a lot of people did. Yeah, <laughs> but we took that off YouTube now. Um, but um, the uh, so I had a I had a Facebook status that like was very popular, which was if mask for mask uh, mask if mask for mask gays are so tough, then why do they always hide in closets until us femmes liberate them? Um, <laughs> and I think you know that like I think I think maybe I sense this uh, as an undertone in what you're saying that it's a bit sort of frustrating to sort of like deal with this behaviour when it's like you would be you would be married and miserable if it wasn't for us, but then you take up all of the place, uh, like all of the space in the places that, um, uh, that, that, that our, like the, our forebears um, yeah. worked so hard <laughs> and suffered to make, which is really frustrating, but yeah. Yeah, and then, then, I mean, like, look, I'm due some reparations. You need to at least sleep with me a little now. <laughs> oh my god yuck i'm so i'm so this is i'm i'm like definitely femme for femme i'm all about like the femme yeah um but uh, but it's really funny because then if i'm just like oh what like there's no one that i would like normally be attracted to that's available we- then i would i like see some sort of mask bro and i'm always like oh fine but i'm not those guys like, like, yeah, like uh, for me, it feels like, okay, I will condescend to be with you. <laughs> but like, they're not all sitting around being like, oh my God, yes. <laughs> because, they should be. Because actually, uh, I think uh, Alex Alvina Chamberlain wrote a really interesting essay that I, I can't remember where it is. Where she was talking about how with, uh, with AMABs, like people assigned male at birth, we don't have 
a uh, an equivalent for the butch femme relationship and the butch femme relationship like in, in like mm. uh, like like in and around lesbian culture where there's a butch who is like potentially cis or potentially trans or trans like some shade of trans masculine uh, and then a, fe uh, a femme uh, femme woman that gay men or uh, amabs uh, don't have this and actually the equivalent would be mm. uh, men who uh, like who are closeted about their attraction to uh, like femme guys trans women drag queens it's, you know that like they they tend not to be so, yeah. so sort of woke about the distinctions um <laughs> but, but like the they the, just say hey sexy lady the, the, the gender conforming men who are attracted to people like us uh tend mm. to be in the closet about it and this is this is really interesting i think that is really interesting yeah i just mean also just thinking about like you know getting with like a normative bro like we all enjoy a bit of junk food every now and again <laughs> like, yeah, but that's the thing about it. You eat too much, it makes you sick. Yep. Hmm. Sorry, I have to go get an STI check right now. So I've been told, I've been told I've been, I don't have any symptoms, but I have been told. So I have to go do that. Ugh. Oh, speaking of which, uh, I have two jokes that I finished a stand-up routine with that absolutely everyone did not find funny. And I would die this, die die before I, whatever, I don't know, they're funny. Okay, I think, do you want to finish with those two jokes? I will tell you, well, uh, the, uh, the STI one, because yeah. I have to go get the STI. Okay. Yeah. What's the... No, we're not putting that in our podcast. Oh my God. Okay, do you want to hear the other one? Yeah, okay. <laughs> what, what's gender and the Twin Towers got in common? What does gender and the Twin Towers have in common? Yeah, okay. There used to be two of them, but now it's a touchy subject. <laughs> oh my God, so that's actually a really good one. That one we can leave. Yeah. That one we can leave it. <laughs> well, there we go. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Amazing. Well, it was very nice to finish off uh, this episode with a laugh with you, Izzing Loop. Yeah. Uh, let me tell you the noise that everyone made in the room when I said the first one. Oh, it was bad. And then it just got worse with the second. I think the second one's I, fine. I think it's tasteful. I think it's the kind of thing we need. Oh, I've just, I've had, uh, I've had a right old good time laughing with you, Olympia. Thank you. Uh, we will be back. Uh, so this is our last one before uh, Christmas. So like, Merry Christmas, uh, if that's possible for you. Um, and uh, we, we happy new year well I think we'll have one more before the new year yeah so we'll wish you happy new year in that one yeah yeah just so you know though is that just because it goes from 2020 to 2021 does not mean that the garbage white imperialist coloniality that caused this evil situation we're in is going away anytime soon and it is necessary to engage in activism and gear ourselves towards revolution Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. We will talk to you next week. Bye, using Gloop. Bye, dear listeners. Okay. Bye! <laughs>